Greetings and salutations. I hope your day is both tranquil and fulfilling. I am Athanasius, and welcome back to the podcast of the Boldly Immortal. I've been really uh, seriously following all the stuff that's been going on in these past few weeks and, and months, and... And I believe it's important because I do not foresee the challenges that we are undergoing right now leaving anytime soon. And in fact, I become more and more convinced that they are endemic to our modern world. And we simply have not learned how to confront them. One of the ways I've tried to keep my sanity, though, is by reading some some very good books. And in particular... I've recently picked up The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. And the books are just amazing, just fantastic books. Um, I highly recommend, if you haven't read them, read them. If you've read them already, read them again, trust me. If you've read them already, 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 you know, a hundred times. Okay, there's other good books too, but, um, but these are really, really good books. And what struck me in rereading them is that, well, first, I haven't reread them in nearly um, enough years. I mean, it's just been it's just been too too long since I last read them. But but rereading them, I, I was able to to get that experience that you usually get when you reread a good book, and you you uncover so much more about what's going on inside of you. You see the little details that you didn't see. But what struck me is that it wasn't the little details that stuck out to me this time. The little details were there, but what stuck out to me was the the overarching narrative. It was it was the higher structure of the entire story that really stuck out to me the the theme, but more importantly the the hero's journey that's that's going on, and how Tolkien, especially in The Hobbit, puts forward a story about adventure, like the archetypal adventure, where you are forced from your home, right? He, he, you are you're cast out of your place of comfort by your own decision, but with some 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 pushing, right? Because you can't get yourself into an adventure. You have to be dragged a little bit. But the call for adventure is put out and and it sweeps you off and you don't you're not quite ready for it. And you end up in 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 much more trouble than you expected. And you end up with these these small challenges along the way that that are are more than you can handle. And you need a little bit of help here and there. But you keep building. And you keep building, and eventually, you you know you, you gain strength, you gain confidence in your own abilities, and you be, start to become uh, a contributor to the solutions rather than to the problems. You you start to really involve yourself in in solving the problems that you see in the world around you, and making your your life better, and making the lives of the people around you better. And ultimately, then you, once you have the opportunity to confront the the really dangerous things, you know, you know, maybe you can't, you can't kill them by yourselves, but, but you can help and you can contribute and you can make a positive difference. And then once, once that comes down, you can, you can further benefit by making even the world itself a better place simply by, well, stepping out your door, right? It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road there's no telling where the road might take you. That's from the movies, but it's it's a paraphrase of, of something in the in the books of the Lord of the Rings. It's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story. The Hobbit is, um, and and it's very it's very well contained in and of itself. It's not too um, too bold. 
especially as a small story, but it's it's just packed with archetype and and meaning. And the Lord of the Rings takes it all to another level because uh, I've talked previously in a former podcast about the Silmarillion and the ancient history of Middle Earth and and the epic stories involved there. You know the the fall of uh, Gondolin. Oh, Gondolin, the city on the hill, the great shining jewel. The last bastion, the hidden city, the hidden star lying within the mountains that, that falls only at the moment of, of greatest despair. And yet from that fall comes the seed which, which turns into, you know, in, in two generations, the great Erendil, the mariner, the man, not, well, the, 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 the one of both man and elf who would cross the oceans and then ultimately would um, would not only bring the the plea of the elves to to Valinor but but you know in his ship would would be the one to strike down in Calagon the black at the, at the great battle the battle for Thangorodrim you know at the, at the gates of Thangorodrim it's 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 that epic history is shadowed in the Lord of the Rings and that that gives it a fullness right? I mean the, the world is so much bigger than the movies give it give it credit for, you know, the, the time that they spend going from place to place. The movies can't give it credit. The movies can't account for that, for the the reality of that universe. And, and, and it really does feel like a history book because that's how it's written by Tolkien. And and yet you have these epic stories involved with it. You have these these real characters, you know, that, that, that jump off the page. And and it's just a, a really good opportunity to to think about how you confront the problems in the world. To think about the different people you're going to interact with, to think about how how you interact with with the world around you. That's really the beauty of reading, especially novels. It's 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 not about escape. I think that's one of our problems in our in our culture is we think about entertainment in terms of escape. And this this comes to an idea that I I don't know if I'll touch on it today because I have a, another idea. But the difference between pleasure and happiness is immense, and, and reading a book shouldn't only be for pleasure. And I think that's what we've done with books. We've done with our entire culture. We've turned it into pleasure, happiness. Though there's a oh, there's some there's a slight nuance between the two, but that nuance is incredibly important. So, reading these books, I have been able to, to a certain extent, escape out of my my world, escape out of the chaos, escape out of the the dangers in order to confront it. I've been able to leave the 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 specifics of the world I'm living in and and let the the tensions dry up a little bit and and then come back into it with a context with a framework with a mind that's been shaped by an approach to the world understanding how do I confront the reality how do I confront the the world that I live in this this dull shadow before it passes away how do I interact with it um, in a way that is positive, that in a way that is healthy, in a way that will, well, that will allow me to benefit it as well as myself. You know, the, the, how can I orient myself to such a way that I can positively affect those around me? And that's what that's what the the reading is there for. That's what it. That's what study is is good for. That's where it's efficacious. Is when you can leave your world to understand your world. And. There was something that came up on Twitter recently. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me. Um, nobody does, but I think I, I think I have things to say. I, I don't say that much, but eh, 
it's a, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Twitter is awful. It's amazing. Um, because it's awful. Because it's just people picking fights and yelling at one another. It's, it's, it is the internet at its peak. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just let that hang. Um, but it, there was a comment thread that came up on Twitter from somebody I was following. Effectively about, oh, you know, this is the worst thing in the world. Because of a video. Because of a video that came up. And people had watched it and, and made their conclusions on what went on in this video. And then somebody came up with a different conclusion and, and made it public and just got blasted. And this guy just got blasted because he didn't, he didn't see the context the same way. Or he, he looked for nuance that somebody else hadn't looked. But, but, but framed his nuance as though it was of, of self-evident. Excuse me. So I, I found this thread. And, and what was surprised me was the person who was, who was commenting on this just jumped straight to conclusions, just straight in and said, oh, well, this must be the case. And, and I thought, that doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all. And this is why I'm going to hereby commit homeschool heresy. I'm going to, I'm going to say something you, you, you never say. You just don't say. Um, but it's something that I've come to appreciate more. Uh, over these past few weeks, especially when reading The Lord of the Rings. The movies are as good as the books. Don't don't stop listening, please. Just, just hear me out. The movies are as good as the books. And there's a reason for that. Now, I have I'm, always been the guy who would call out the fact that Eowyn should not be the... Uh, not Eowyn, sorry. Arwen should not be the one picking up Frodo um, after he's stabbed. It should have been Glorfindel. They should have figured out a way to get Glorfindel in there because it doesn't fit her character development. That would have made much more sense. Um, and you just let let the, the, that be. Okay, sure. But rereading the books. I have watched the movies consistently because they're easy, they're easy to jump into. They're easy to digest. They're quick-ish. I mean, it's only 12 hours as opposed to, you know, four weeks or however long it's going to take me to finish these um, in my in my uh, journey. So I've seen the films several times, and I can kind of get the the feel of it. And now that I'm rereading the books, I'm having I'm having this weird experience of reading it as as somebody who who knows how this would fit on a screen and how it shows, and I'm coming to appreciate the artistry of the scriptwriters more than I had in the past. Because I'm reading through the books and I'm thinking, okay, this is why you made your decisions. Okay, I, I can understand the story you're trying to tell. And this comes from exploration that I've done in in both storytelling and movie writing, right? I've done I've been looking at you know video essays on all sorts of different things, but but over the past few years, I have been following uh, storytelling in movies because it seems to have fallen off a little bit. It seems to have, you know, kind of pittered out. Even, you know, the, the best we've gotten so far maybe was Avengers, um, or Captain America. The Captain America movies were pretty good. Um, but even then, it's not, it seems like it's falling off a little bit. But I'm, I'm looking at it and saying, okay, this is what it should be, right? And mostly because of Star Wars, I'll be honest. Star Wars has told me what, what movie you're telling shouldn't be and so i wanted to find out what is it what is good storytelling so that when you see it you can appreciate it and what i'm finding in the lord of the rings is phenomenal storytelling just epic epic literally epic storytelling and 
And yet it doesn't fit on a screen. It doesn't fit in the visual world that we live in today. Now, if you, if you, can, if you can think in terms of books, there's no, there's no better story that I know of in, in, in fantasy. It is the, the underpinning of, of Western fantasy in the modern world. I mean, this is what revived the fantasy genre. This is what laid the foundations for other other stories to come after it and and fantasy has has revived because of it because the tolkien reestablished the the genre he reestablished the archetypes he, you know the elves and dwarves and magic these are the things that came out you get harry potter is a success because of the lord of the rings i'm going to say that right the, the game of thrones is a success because of the lord of the rings as books they were successful but they didn't do what the lord of the rings did because Harry Potter was definitely not as is definitely not as intelligent as the Lord of the Rings. And the reason I say that is because the Lord of the Rings is not just telling a story. It is telling a history. It is telling an it is not just telling even a history of of the like this massive world. It is telling the story of reality through type and shadow in a in a fantastical mindset to try and drop you into the the world that you live in and get you to see it a different way that's what the lord of the rings is doing and 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 it other stories can do that can have that side effect but the lord of the rings is doing it very very deliberately from the very beginning and there's so much there um that that it's hard to unpack and and i'd love to love to get into more you know how you how you explore his his creation myth and how it's hinted at you know when you explore who the elves are and why they are that and and this idea of of the degradation of reality where you go from the the great high elves to kind of the lower elves and then the dwarves and then men and, and you have this this degradation of culture right that's there and and it's fascinating to see how he weaves these these themes into his stories into his ideas and, and gets you to think about the questions, who am I, why do I, why am I in this position now, who came before me, that's, that's ingrained in the story. The, the study of the past is, is, is fundamental to the Lord of the Rings books, books. And the way that the movies, the way that the movies show that, I think, is they don't try to do the same thing. But what they try to do is they try to say, this is real. And this is what they did with New Zealand, is they tried to say, what, ha what we're documenting here is history. What we're telling here is a documentary about reality. And if you, as someone who has watched those films and is now reading the books, I can tell you, it really feels like they did a fantastic job because I can't think of a better, you know, you know how when a documentary or a docudrama tells a story about a, a, a person, they'll, they'll embellish it a little bit. Like, a lot of my viewers are Luther, or listeners are Lutherans, so think about the Luther movie. It embellishes. It, it cuts some corners. It, it has some dramatic effects. It's not a one-for-one -one retelling of reality, especially because there's background music. Sorry, you know, that's not how reality works. Um, except in church, oddly enough, because we do a pretty good job of that. But you, you always have to embellish, embellish and, and, and figure, out, figure out the story you're telling. And this is this is what's gonna this is where things are gonna start to tie together for for the the theme of this podcast. Media, visual media, is not 
about telling the truth. Modern news is not about telling the truth. The things you hear about the world you live in are not about telling you the truth. They are about selling you a story about your world. And if the person is running advertisements, more so. If they're asking you directly for their for money, still true. And because everyone needs money, nobody's nobody's you know nobody's just doing news out of the goodness of their heart. Everyone, everyone is telling you a story. Everyone is teaching you a story. Everyone is giving you a lens to view your world. Everyone is giving you propaganda to a certain extent, right? I mean, propaganda is a, a, a bit of a rough question, but everyone, everyone is trying to sell you on a narrative about the world around you. I've said this now several times, so I'm going to explain myself. When something happens on video and you get a 15-second clip of some awful event, do you have any idea what happened two hours ago? No. If you get a 15-second clip, do you know anything about what happened a minute ago? No. Do you know anything about what happened just before the camera started shooting? No. Do you know why the person is shooting that video? Do you know what, what caused them to be there? No. Do you know the motivation of the people in the picture? No. Do you know the, the, the surrounding uh, thoughts of the, of the people or the, the context of the entire environment? Do you know any of that? No, you don't. Anyone who comes to you with a piece of visual media isn't going to provide that. They can't provide that because you don't have that kind of time. You don't. And so if they want to tell you that story, they have to do, they, they have to contextualize it somehow. And that context, that, that framing of what they give to you is the narrative. And unless that fits with what they, with, with their ethics, they're not going to tell you. What do I mean? Suppose they have a, a, a narrative. They're trying to deceive you, right? We have a conspiracy theory and they're trying to, to lie to you, right? Directly. Somebody, right? Don't think about the mainstream. Think about, you know, some small podunk YouTube channel or BitChute channel, right? Because BitChute's better. Um, mostly because, yeah, YouTube's going to fail anyway. But... Think about a small channel that, that has their little conspiracy theory and they're trying to sell you about the, the flat earth theory, okay? And what are they going to do? Are they going to give you the context that says, well, people have been into the, into the space and they've seen the earth and they know that it's a globe or, or at least we have all of this really good evidence or are they going to say, you know, the cons you know they're going to tell you about the conspiracies and about Project Paperclip where we brought over Nazi scientists from, from Germany after the war so that the communists wouldn't get them and they concocted a plan, you know, which, by the way, is true. We did. We did. That's where we got our, our stealth technology, I for, you know, because the Germans had it first. Uh, the Germans had stealth technology um, prototypes that they could have put into effect, but they weren't putting the resources into those. Um, we took their scientists and we developed really good stealth tech. That's what Area 51 was doing. There you go little brief podcast for you. Do your own research on that one. It's fascinating. But the conspiracy theorist isn't going to give you that, all of that context. They're going to tell you about aliens. They're going to tell you about, you know, the deep state. They're going to tell you about, they're going to frame, and they're going to frame these things as though they matter. 
more than any other facts. They're going to frame the facts that, they, that, that fit their narrative more than anything else. A so-called objective reporter or someone who's at least attempting neutrality will, at the very least, attempt to weigh facts evenly. And that's part of their bias. What do I mean by that? That's part of their agenda. They, they have an agenda to be neutral, and so they're going to try and, and, and establish that. They're going to figure out, okay, how do I make a balanced reporting of this? But that's part of their narrative because they believe it's good to be neutral, to be a neutral arbiter, to just present facts and context and, and whatever, whatever can give you the best expression of what happened on the scene, right? And, and there's value to that. There's great value to that. Don't, don't hear me saying that that's bad. Because what I'm saying is that that's what we do. I'm saying you can't get around it. So you have to say, how am I framing this? What am I doing? Does this 15-second video clip accurately portray what happened or not? Does this thing that, that outrages me, this momentary event that I am in no way connected to, that I didn't even witness myself, that is coming to me across the internet, does that does that, do I get the accurate picture of that? Does that affect me? Should I even care? Why is this important to, for me to, to care about? Do you think through those things? No. No, we don't. This is why I, I'm thinking that the Lord of the Rings is, is as good in movie form. Because you don't ask the question, why do elves exist? You don't ask the question, you know, why are there hobbits or, or how is the world created? When you watch The Lord of the Rings, you don't, you don't sit back and say, well, I don't believe that there could be a giant, giant evil bad guy with a ring of power and orcs, orc hordes. You're like, no, okay, so this happened. Suspension of disbelief is, is, is incredibly important in a movie. If you can't suspend, that is when you, you believe that what happened in the film is consistent with the, the laws of the film, right? That, that you think it could have happened by the rules that the film showed. So if the film shows people getting hurt when they, you know, do something amazing and, you know, they, they go through it and you can, you, you, you get the feeling that they exerted great effort, you'll, you'll believe it a little bit more. If, if you see them going, doing very difficult things with little effort at all that, you know, and you see this little 120 pound girl beat up a bunch of Russian mobsters, you're going to say, eh, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, it draws a lot of people out of the film. Suspension of disbelief is incredibly important in filmmaking and in fantasy it is even more important why because of the archetypes because the archetypes are are even more on are even more visible they're not they're not shrouded by our our modern context right in our world we don't have dragons that we look at every day we don't go outside and see kings and princes we don't see armies clad and with swords and shields, and we don't think about things in epic tales. We think about ho-hum everyday life. And so stories that are set in our, in our contexts, are, 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 it is a little bit easier to get us to believe that what's going on is going on, and a little easier for us to relate to it, and consequently, it can be easier for us to disassociate the epic archetypal story. But if you have a fantasy, if you have a fantasy, you, do have, you might have a dragon, 
right? Or you might have some you know, hero's journey going on, and, and because you have to believe that the universe exists, it's, it's a little bit harder to, to get all of that working together properly. But when it works, it works even better. This is why Star Wars was successful. Star Wars was space fantasy. And it hid, it used sci-fi to, to tell a fantasy story, and that worked in its favor so it could tell a very, very bare-bones epic story um, through that medium. And it did it well. It did it very well. Um, but the Lord of the Rings does it too. And, and what makes the Lord of the Rings just so amazing is that they properly reorganize all the different things to get all the beats right and to actually to actually get the the, the, the messaging across. Now, the, the, the one bit that they don't include, I'll admit, is the scouring of the Shire, which bugs me a little bit. Um, but that would have been, that would have needed a different context, right? You can't do that in a movie. So what they did, they did phenomenally well, and they made you believe it. They made you believe that the wars were happening. They made you believe that there could be giant 30-foot elephants for just a moment. And when you saw it, you know, there, there are a couple of times where you're like, oh boy, that's, that's a little bit extreme, but you buy it. And when you, and you buy the story of good and evil, you, you embrace it. But the, but the thing is, that actually is even easier on film. That's easier on film than it, than it is in reality. And that's why I would, uh, that's, that's why, that's why video is so deceptive. That's why video is so deceptive. Because when you watch a film, you know you're sitting in the theater. You know you're going there. You know you want fulfillment. And so you expect some sort of story arc. You expect some sort of hero to, to take some journey. What you, you don't maybe expect is how they'll take it. You know, maybe, what you maybe don't know about is the, the context and the, and the way that it all plays out and the world that it plays out in. And maybe you don't, you don't buy into that. And that's, that's where filmmaking must be successful. But you want... You want that catharsis of a story, of a plot, of some purpose toward which a character struggles and then in the end either achieves or fails. They either achieve or they fail. And The Lord of the Rings really, I mean, what an amazing success because at the end of the first film, you, you get this, this point where the fellowship breaks, right? If you haven't seen the films, I'm sorry. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be listening at this point. Um, the fellowship breaks and Boromir dies, right? In the books, he doesn't die until until the two towers. It's 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 amazing reading through that and, and, and having forgotten that. You know, that that and and Tolkien calls it the departure of Boromir. Like he, he's not giving you any hints until it happens. It, it's fantastic. But the movie ends there, and it shows you that because it's it's building towards something new. And so your catharsis at the end of that story doesn't it doesn't end because of the, the story being completed ends. Your catharsis comes because you you know you know what's going on in this world and you've, you're on this adventure, and and you're at peace because you, you believe that. See, and this is even hard hard to comprehend. That it's hard. I'm trying to think through it. 
Because at that at the end of that film, you are satisfied because the characters know what they're going for. They know what they're going to achieve, and they set their minds to it. It's it's not that they've achieved it, but they set their minds to it, and you know that, they, and you have confidence that they will because you've seen what they've gotten through, and then you're excited to see what happens when they come back to it. And the and the media sells you on that, and it does a fantastic job. But reality doesn't work that way. Not on the surface. But if if it did, if it did, they wouldn't have to sell you on it. They wouldn't you you wouldn't you wouldn't need their narratives. You wouldn't need their storylines. You wouldn't need to pay someone to create a fantasy world for you to to go see this this story of good and evil. You wouldn't you wouldn't have to expend that because you would see it. You'd be you'd be em, embraced by it. And so anyone who wants you to believe that something is good or evil has to make you believe it with a narrative. If they want to sell you on a certain piece of legislation, if they want you to go to war, if they want you to dislike someone, if they want you to feel like the like your world is closing in around you, if they want you to feel that there are no good people out there, if they want you to feel like you're powerless, if they want you to feel like you can conquer the world, doesn't matter. If they want you to feel or to think the way that they want you to, if they want to control you, they have to make you believe that there are good and evil and that, and that the enemy that they're pitting against you is evil. They have to sell you on that story. And the truth, the sad truth of, of, of our existence is that they're not always wrong. That some people are evil. In fact, all people are evil. And some are more dangerous than others, though, to certain ways of life. And so we have to ask the question, what do we want? What kind of world do we want? What kind of story are we going to tell about ourselves? What, what framing do we accept in our world? What context are we going to allow to govern our actions? What, what facts are we going to require before we jump to conclusions? And how are we going to achieve a properly ordered society? That, that set of questions is how you define a people, a culture, a civilization. That is order. Order is defining those rules. And in, in America, what we chose, what we decided upon was innocent until proven guilty, beyond a reasonable doubt, in a, in a jury of your peers. In a jury of your peers. That is how we founded our system. And we have thrown it away. Because, because visual media is so powerful. Because when you see a movie, even if it's a real movie, eyewitness testimony lies. It does, because it's incomplete. It's always incomplete. And you watching in some little camera and some 15-second, 
10-minute, 20-minute clip, it's not enough. The longer, the better, sure. And the more angles you have, the better, yeah. That's why, that is why multiple witnesses are often required. That's why testimony is gathered. And that is why 12 people sit together and judge based on the evidence as collected and as argued by men in court. That's why we have our system. Because the more evidence that you can get together, the more likely it is that you will create an, an accurate approximation of the entire context of the case. And, and in that environment, you know the bias of the people who are bringing forward the case because you have prosecution and defense. And so you know the pictures they're trying to paint. You can figure it out. And you can ask, does the evidence actually work in their favor? Can I imagine this from the different perspective? And that's what the, the lawyer's job is, is to, is to paint that picture. But it's there to paint it in a picture in a private setting so that justice may be done. And, and this is why, honestly, I, 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 I hope we don't have video in court. I know some places have it, but, but, but it's not good. It's not good because it's not sufficient. You don't know in a movie whether or not there could be characters behind the camera because it doesn't matter. You imagine them if you need to. But in reality, there are. In reality, you have a 360-degree area of effect. And you have time as an uncontrolled factor. You can't look back in, a, in, a, in reality and say, oh, you should have done that. But he chose to do this knowing the outcome. No, in a film, you can. Every decision is made deliberately. And when, they're not, when, it, when something is erroneous, it is act an actual objective error in the film. It's one of the reasons the Lord of the Rings is so good is there are so few of those. So few. And they are so minute that, that they are imperceptible on the whole. There's a couple spots here and there. But the story, the story doesn't lie to you. And, the, and the, the, the film doesn't lie to you because you don't care about what's behind the camera. You don't need to know. It can't affect you. It can't affect the story. It can't change the narrative. What happened in, in between scenes can't affect the narrative because if it did, it would have been included. And you have to judge the narrative based on what is shown to you. But reality doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't, reality doesn't ignore context. Reality doesn't ignore surrounding circumstances. Reality doesn't ignore the past. And a 15-second video clip doesn't include it. It doesn't include it. So in effect, when you look at that, when you, when you see that, that short, brief moment in time, you are stepping out of reality and viewing a facsimile of the truth. A single window into a, effectively a parallel universe where you get to see a moment that occurred in the past. You get a portal through time through which you can gaze upon another world. A world that has no effect on you. That didn't touch you. But its ripples are reaching out. Its, its tentacles are grabbing out of the void and 
drawing you in. And there are wizards, <laughs> wise people, knowledgeable people, sorcerers actually, more accurately, people of, of instinct, of, of, of gut feelings, people who want to sell you on some narrative, they want to bewitch you. And these are not wise men always, but some of them are, who want, who want to take control of that bridge between you and this other world. Because if they can control that bridge, if they can control what you see, if they can, if they can frame that, that world properly, then they can affect the, how the tendrils come in and grab you. They can affect what, what areas of your world become darkened, become lit. I'm, I'm, I'm falling into fantasy terms. When you allow your mind to be twisted by the, by the visions you gain from the, the mirror on the wall, the mirror in your hand, that, that wonderful little device that port teleports you to different places in the world, when you allow that to shape your reality, you give power to the one who controls that portal. And you put your trust in them. But they have no reason to tell you the truth because the truth may not always conform to their narrative of reality. And if it doesn't, they have every, every reason to change your perception. I'm not taking any stance on what's happened right now. I have, I'm, not, I'm not taking that political stance. I'm talking about archetypal stuff here. But I'm sure you can apply it. I'm absolutely sure you can apply this concept to the world around you right now and ask this question, why? Am I seeing what I'm seeing and what do I not see? What am I missing? What horrible things are going on around the world that don't affect me that I don't see? That, that nobody cares to show me? That maybe I should care about? Or maybe it's good that I don't care about them, but why do I see other things? What am I allowing to come into my world, to come into my reality, and why? And why? Because if you don't ask why, you will never understand what they're trying to do, why they're trying to sell you your narrative. Because the why is that you have a narrative of your own. You have a narrative of your own, a way that you see the world, and they want to shape it. Because if they can shape it, they can control it. And so you need to ask, who is shaping my story? Who is shaping my reality? What is guiding the lens through which I see the world? This is a Christian podcast. You know that. Are we guiding our, our lives and our understanding of the world by the text of Scripture and by what is revealed about it by God, who is infallible, or by men who are fallible? This has nothing to do with the facts in this particular case. We could talk about facts another day. Right now I'm talking about I'm talking about narrative. This is why I've come to appreciate the book of Revelations, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Daniel, the Gospels, the you know, the book of Romans, Corinthians, I mean, the whole Bible really, but but particularly the ones, the places where we get to hear about 
about the underlying story, the underlying narrative of reality. The truth, the true story, the true fantasy. The Lord of the Rings tells of this, this epic history of good versus evil and how it, it, it continues throughout, throughout the histories and how that sets us up for our modern, for our, our lives in this world. And the Bible tells us that, except it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do it in terms of a story. It does it in terms of history. It actually tells you what actually happened. It gives us truth of the fantasy that we are LARPing through in this, in this shadow realm. In this, in this world of shadows where everything passes away, there is, there is a dragon chained in the bottomless pit. And there is a king on a throne crowned with seven stars and before him the seven torches are lit and before him all of creation bows and he judges all things and rules all things these these are the are the epic truths but they but they they don't exist in the world of of waking and sleeping because we can't see them. But they're part of our narrative. They're part of our story. They're part of, they're part of the reality that we must, we must embrace and we must, we must work into our daily lives, into our subconscious. We must let that narrative shape our narratives because the one who created all things said, this is the truth. The one who rose from the dead said, this is my word. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to trust in that. Because he's risen. And he's promised that he'll raise me too. All right, there we go. There we go. So what am I going to do? Excuse me. So what am I going to do? Am I going to, am I going to sit in front of the portals and watch as, as video after video comes in, shaping my world, preaching to me, some some philosophy some some fantasy story about what is good and what is bad about what i should value and what i should seek what i should what i should oppose and what i should fight and what i should desire above all else should i let a nar the narrative of of reality come into my life unfiltered that is not wisdom should I seek pleasure above all else? The unsatiable positive feelings? No, that is not wisdom. Should I seek happiness for its own sake? The contentment of a life well lived in order and discipline, but without God? That is dust. That is dust. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. And, and we don't need the troubles of other people. We should care about our neighbors, yes. And our neighbors, our neighborhood has gotten quite small. Right? It's a small world. It's a small world. You'd be surprised. And there's so many of us on it. But the lies 
the lies that, that are spread constantly are so hard to weave through. And the fantasy, the fantasy that we are sold is, is dark and tempting. And so I'm, I'm asking you to be disciplined, to, to seek the greater things, the greater good, to be virtuous men, to not be so easily manipulated by a short, short sense overload, by something that isn't real, by a lie concocted for you, uh, by a vision granted to you by the sorcerers of the Silicon Valley, granted to you by men whose, whose very desire, exclusive desire, is to get you to watch more, to imbibe more, to see more, to use their device more, to, to, to go to their website more, to buy their things, to embrace their worldview, to do exactly what they want, exactly what their sponsors want, to buy, to sell yourself into psychological slavery to them, to their agenda. I don't care who they are. That's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. That's what, the, that's what it is. And so the question is, is this a good master? Is this a just master? Is this the truth or is it not? That is the question of discernment. And so when you find that good and righteous master, when you find a place where the, the visions granted to you are efficacious, are edifying, build you up in your faith and trust in the one from whom reality descends, the one who spoke the reality into existence, not the mere fantasies, but who gave us our very bodies. When you find the ones who proclaim his message, who gave you his vision, cling to them. Have your mind shaped by that, by the words of the Almighty God. And even if you can't see the epic history of the universe unfolding, even if you can't see reality. Listen to the story of what happens when the fantasy breaks through. Look at the stories of what happened when the fantasy was so powerful that, that it, it transcended into reality. When, when the archetype when the, when the word itself became man, listen, listen. You can't see it anymore. Listen and believe. Listen and believe and trust that. Who are you going to believe? Me or your lying eyes? I'm not asking you to trust me. I'd ask you to judge me the same as the rest of the sorcerers. I have, I have the arrogance not to show my face. Well, or humility. I mean, depends on which way you, depends on if you've seen me or not. Uh, but uh, appearances can be deceiving. No, appearances 
are deceiving. They do not tell the full picture. It is why we must guard what we see and guard what we assume. It's why we must be cautious, slow to judgment, and merciful in it. And it is why we must, we absolutely must reckon with the great, the great war of, of our world, the great war of our culture, the great war of humanity, the war we weren't ready for, the war we never saw coming. We must reckon with the fact that we are fighting for reality itself. We are fighting with visions with visions of sorcerers, of, of, of those who would deceive us. Actual visions, dreams told to us that we should dream them. That's what we're fighting. So come, let's, let's, let's go to the, pr the proper place. Let's, let's dream the right dreams. Let's have the right visions in our mind. The ones that point to the truth. The ones that point to what is and was, who was and is and is to come. To one that does not proclaim to us that all of reality is falling apart. And if we could only buy some product or, or, or support some cause, everything would be fine because it won't be. Rather, let us fix our eyes on the one who is going to come, who came once, who came once to, to, to justify a broken world, to, to, to suffer the punishment of those who are at war with him and will come again, come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers for this this not the rest not the lies not the visions not the not the deceits of the devil and all his angels not the visions of of other worlds this this promise is most certainly true but don't take my word for it come and see